0: Well, I invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The Acts of the Apostles, as it is often called, chapter number 2. And in the continuation of our series on biblical discernment, I want to preach a message on the marks of a Spirit-filled church. The marks of a spirit-filled church. Someone on social media recently asked if there were any, quote, good, spirit-filled churches in the Yucca Valley area, which, as you can imagine, led to many people commenting and recommending what they thought were good, spirit-filled churches, which led me to contemplate what many people who name the name of Christ, are prone to think of when they hear that phrase, spirit-filled. What churches in our community are spirit-filled? On the contrary, what churches in the community are spirit-flawed? Is every place that calls itself a church spirit-filled? Are those churches that call themselves Christian automatically filled with the Spirit every time that they meet? What are the attributes of a Spirit-filled church? What are the attributes of a Spirit-filled pastor? What are the attributes of a Spirit-filled sermon? What are the attributes of a Spirit-filled worship? What are the attributes of a Spirit-filled Christian? Now, think about it with me. And think about it, not through what others believe this to mean, but through what God's Word says. If a pastor stands in one place while he preaches and is not funny, charming, or amusing, does it mean that he is not filled with the Spirit? If a church consists of only 15 people, and is meeting in a rundown building or rented community center, singing songs without instrumentation. Does it mean that they do not meet the criteria for being a good, spirit-filled church? Are churches that lack fun programs and activities for the kids dead churches? Are churches that don't offer a full menu of groups to belong to, Spiritless churches? Is every church that has a membership of 500 plus people automatically a spirit-filled church? Is every church that has a, quote, worship team made up of gifted musicians a spirit-filled church? Are churches that have astonishing orchestras and a choir consisting of hundreds of people a spirit-filled church? What are the marks of a spirit-filled church? I fear that most people associate the expression spirit-filled with excitement, emotions, music, charming personalities, busyness, and the amount of people who show up to a church meeting. On the one extreme, you have groups of people who genuinely think that the marks of a spirit-filled church involves the pastor yelling at everyone at the top of his lungs, people speaking in gibberish, people falling on the floor and floundering like a fish, attendees running around the auditorium waving their handkerchiefs in the air, and worshipers having some sort of exciting experience that makes them cry and feel good. On the other extreme, you have groups of people who sincerely think that the marks of a spirit-filled church involves loud music, which makes people want to close their eyes, put their hands in the air, and sway back and forth. Some people think that the characteristics of a spirit-filled preacher involves an energetic, comical pastor who's good at telling stories to tug at the people's emotions. Some people think that so long as the church has an abundance of volunteers who are busily serving in some, quote, ministry, that they are naturally a Spirit-filled church. So my question is, how do we know what is truly of the Spirit? How can we discern what a Spirit-filled church looks like? And this question ties in with the questions I've been asking Over the last six weeks, does one's feelings determine whether or not a church is filled with the Spirit? Does one's amusement determine whether or not a church is filled with the Spirit? Does a church's size regulate a church's relationship with the Spirit? Is the music and the appearance of the auditorium the determining factor of whether or not a church is, quote, good. How do we know what is the right answer? What are the biblical features of being a spirit-filled church? And therein lies the definitive answer. Did you catch it? My question is, what are the biblical features of being a spirit-filled church. I'm not concerned about what church growth experts say. I'm not concerned about what young people who know little about theology think. I'm not even concerned about what the majority of Sunday worshipers argue. I want to know, what does God think about this question? Is there anywhere in Scripture that we find... uh, definite answer to these questions? Are there any teachings? Are there any examples? Are there any principles that can be extracted from the truths of God's Word so that we might funnel this question through? What are the biblical characteristics of a Spirit-filled church? Well, I believe that the strongest, most well-defined biblical account that can answer our question is Acts chapter 2, which describes the moment that the church was birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And before I read the concluding portion of Acts chapter 2, I want us to recognize that what happened on the day of Pentecost was a unique, singular occasion that transpired on God's sovereign timetable in fulfillment with Old Testament prophecy. When the Spirit of God fell on those in the upper room, when the Spirit of God caused people to hear the gospel in their own tongue or their own language, when the Spirit led Peter to preach what he preached, and when the Spirit miraculously regenerated about 3,000 souls at once It was a supernatural sign to mark the end of the Jewish age and the beginning of the church age. Are you with me? When the Spirit allowed people from various places around the world to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own native tongue, it was an indication to both Jew and Gentile that Christ's church was going to be international in nature. When we read Peter saying that, quote, the gospel is for you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, we understand that God was teaching everyone that the church of Jesus Christ was going to be multiracial and multilingual whose members have a responsibility to speak God's word to people of every land and nation. This is a new thing. And the Jews needed a sign that God was doing a new thing. This is God, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Smacking the Jews across the head with a two by four, so to speak. Through the miracles of Pentecost, God was teaching the Jews that Jesus is not just their Savior, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is not just the Redeemer of one group of people, He is the Redeemer of all who call upon His name. Remember, the Jews were a little bit stuck on themselves. We are the Hebrew-speaking people. We are of Abraham. We are of Moses. God has only worked in one way through one people. Therefore, we are the beloved of God. So God had to bring these supernatural signs to convince the Jews and the Gentiles that Christ's church is going to be for all. Now I say all this to say that we should not expect the particular signs and blessings of Pentecost to take place every Sunday. We should not expect God to do the same miracles and wonders He performed on that day because truth be told, what took place on the day of Pentecost did not take place every Sunday following the day of Pentecost in the biblical account of Acts. We should not expect 3,000 to get saved every week. Now that would be nice. That would be wonderful to see and experience, but that's not biblical reality. Just read past Acts chapter 2. Now God did add to the church, but he didn't add to the church 3,000 every Sunday, every moment. There were not signs and wonders being done every time a preacher lifted up his voice and preached. Pentecost was a specific event that happened at a specific season in history for a specific reason. Pentecost was a moment in history that God sovereignly and graciously opened the floodgates and bringing in the Gentile sheep into the predominantly Jewish flock. That's what Isaiah said would happen that's what joel said would happen that's what jesus said would happen i have sheep that are outside of this flock speaking of gentiles the time is coming when the door is going to be open wide and here it is acts chapter 2 with the door of the gospel invitation is open wide to the world so in our quest to find what a spirit filled church looks like Our focus should not be on the unique miracles that happened that day, but on what took place immediately after that phenomenal event. That's the question that needs to be asked and answered. The question that needs to be asked and answered is, what did the Holy Spirit produce in the lives of others following this great occasion? What was the condition of the church following the time that biblical prophecy was fulfilled? What were the tangible attitudes and actions of God's people when the Spirit of God was present among them? That's the question. That's what we need to examine. And by the way, that's the question you ought to ask yourself after every supposed revival meeting or conference if you really want to see the authenticity of God's work in a meeting, don't judge things by the immediate commotion or hype. Judge it by the aftermath. When everything settles down. It's easy to get people worked up. But we want to know, was there any true change in the lives of those who claim to have been, quote, touched by the Spirit? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What are the marks of a Spirit-filled church? Truth number one. A Spirit-filled church will always be a Christian church. A Spirit-filled church will always be a Christian church. The they, in verse 42, who continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, are the they who gladly received Peter's preached word and were baptized. Meaning then that these were true believers who were born again by God's Spirit. These were individuals who were cut to the heart by Peter's preaching, who then personally believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And while this might seem like an elementary truth to consider, it is nonetheless a needful truth. This is the primary and most fundamental characteristic of a spirit-filled church. Listen, a church cannot be a spirit-filled church if it has attendees or members who are void of the Spirit. A church cannot be a Spirit-filled church if they do not believe the true biblical gospel. And a church cannot be a Spirit-filled church if the people within the church do not have a credible testimony of faith. A true Spirit-filled church is a Christian church. A true spirit-filled church is a church filled with people who have a testimony of being transformed from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. A true spirit-filled church is a church that loves the biblical Christ in sincerity and truth. But pastor, isn't every quote Christian church Christian? No, no. Just because they say they're Christian doesn't mean that they are Christian. Only those who demonstrate the fruits of being born again, only those who show by their lives that they love the true Jesus are truly Christian. Remember Jesus says, Matthew chapter 7, Not everybody who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works? Have we not? I mean, we are claiming to be Christian. What's the problem? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You're Christian in name, but you're not Christian in heart. You profess with your mouth the Lord Jesus but your heart is far from God. And I'm submitting to you, it's vital that we understand that a Spirit-filled church must be, first and foremost, a Christian church. And speaking of biblical, we come to truth number two. A Spirit-filled church is a biblical church. Now, I want you to carefully notice the repeated proeminence of God's Word that seeps out in every verse in the whole of Acts chapter 2. At the beginning of the chapter, we find a biblically called and qualified preacher, namely Peter, preaching the truths of God's Word. And as the Spirit falls and people from all over the world begin hearing the truth of the gospel in their own tongue, Peter gets up and does what? Starts juggling Starts talking about being moral. Starts ranting about politics and political reform. No. Peter stands up and begins preaching the Old Testament scriptures. He begins preaching the book of Joel. And in his preaching the book of Joel he takes the Old Testament prophecy he links it with what Christ has accomplished in his death burial and resurrection and Peter does what Paul tells Timothy to do he begins to reprove rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine Peter becomes very pointed in his sermon saying listen you are guilty you crucified Christ you are sinners You need to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You need to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see his focus? Peter's focus is not on unraveling prophecy in an entertaining sense. His focus is on unraveling prophecy to point them to Christ, to call on them to believe for salvation. And this is the mark of a Spirit-filled church. A Spirit-filled church has Spirit-filled preachers who will preach Spirit-filled sermons. And what is a Spirit-filled sermon? What is Spirit-filled preaching? Spirit-filled preaching involves unraveling the truths of God's Word, exalting the person and work of Jesus Christ, and calling on others to get right with God. This is not me making up preaching. This is me taking what we find about preaching and telling you what preaching is. Peter doesn't use Scripture to give a nice Bible lesson to fill the head with facts. He uses Scripture to inflame their hearts to seek God. And then notice what this leads to in verse 42. Peter's biblical preaching leads to biblical devotion among the flock. Verse 42, and they... Those who were saved, those who received the Spirit, under Peter's biblical preaching, continued steadfastly in what? In the apostles. Oh, don't give me that. Not that word. That's an old, ancient, Puritan word. Oh, doctrine. Nobody wants to go to church for doctrine. Doctrine, oh, teaching, theology. Those who belonged to this church were not a people who who claimed to be Bible believers. They were actually Bible believers. And they were Bible lovers. They were not hearers of God's word, only they were doers of God's word. They did not claim to be Bible believers on Sunday and then cast off what they heard on Monday. They were a people who desired to put God's will above all. And I'm submitting to you that this element is a clear sign of a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church is a biblical church. A spirit-filled people should say to their pastor, Pastor, give us the book. Stop talking about yourself. Stop talking about the problems of life. Stop talking about politics. These things have always been. Give me something that I can rest my heart upon. Tell me about the greatness of God. Help me to lean in on the promises of God, knowing that with Him all things are yea and amen to the glory of God. There are churches that call themselves biblical who read a passage and then go on talking about everything under the sun. This was a true biblical church. Daily they wanted to get their nose in the book and see, notice it, what the Spirit of God was saying. Who's the author of Scripture? The Spirit. You cannot separate being a Spirit-filled believer or a Spirit-filled church from being a Bible-filled people or a Bible-filled church. Those who are filled with the Bible are filled with the Spirit. And those who are filled with the Spirit are filled with the Bible. You want a biblical example? (laughs) Think of Stephen. Go read later tonight about Stephen. The Bible says this man was filled with the Spirit, filled with power. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means that he was filled with the Bible. How do we know? Because the Bible is just pouring out of his lips as he's preaching, referencing Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, uplifting the name of Christ. To be Spirit-filled is to be Bible-filled. So these churches that claim to be Spirit-filled who don't even do anything according to the Bible are just charlatans. They're wolves. They're phonies. They're fake. We ought to be people of the book. We ought to be Bible believers, Bible lovers. To be a spirit filled church is to be a biblical church. Hold everything up, test all things. Why do we do what we do? Because the book says. Why should we believe what we believe? Because the book says. Acts 17, 11, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures with all readiness of mind and they saw if what Paul said from the scriptures was actually according to scripture. Scripture, scripture, scripture. We need a reformation back to the scripture, back to authority, back to God's opinions. Truth number three, a spirit-filled church is a prayerful church. A spirit-filled church is a prayerful church. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we find that the church was praying before the Spirit fell. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, we find that the church was praying after the Spirit fell. So it wasn't for a short season. It wasn't to get something from God and then, okay, we've got it. Now we can go back to doing whatever we want. No, this church is continually given to prayer. And what is prayer? Prayer. Prayer is not the repetition of vain words. Prayer is the pouring of our hearts out to God. That's what this church is doing. Prayer is the acknowledgement that apart from God, we can do nothing. Prayer is the language of trust in the Father. And this church wanted to know God's blessing. This church knew that apart from the Spirit's intervention. They could not live for Christ, so they prayed. And what did they do? They continued to pray and pray and pray. They didn't puff out their chest and say, we know how to do ministry. We know how to grow a church. We've got the New York best-selling book on church growth. We've listened to all the podcasts. What did they do? They prayed. Why did they pray? Listen, they prayed because they knew that they were weak. You think this is a strong church. It's only strong because they were relying upon the spirit's strength. Somebody who doesn't pray is somebody who is weak. Somebody who prays is somebody who is strong. Did you catch it? You say, that's contradictory, is it? No, you want true strength? Then be weak. You think yourself strong? You're weak. This church was weak. In their weakness, they prayed. And I submit to you again that one of the marks of a spirit-filled church is a prayerful church. You want to talk about spirit-filled churches? Where are the churches that emphasize the prayer meetings? They're almost all gone. If you have a motorcycle club... You're a fun biblical church, but if you have a true prayer meeting where you pray over 10 minutes, you look dull. What's wrong with us? It's all backwards, isn't it? We really don't need the Spirit is what we're saying when we don't pray. We got this figured out. We can reach people on our own. God help us. To be a Spirit-filled church is to be a prayerful church. And I'm not talking about weird, gibberish prayers. I'm talking about true pouring of the heart to God, true humbling ourselves before the Father, before the sovereign creator and saying, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. Lord, without you, we cannot. You must. You must. Truth number four, a spirit-filled church is a reverent church. A spirit-filled church is a reverent church. Verse 43, the Bible says, "In fear..." came upon every soul. And these believers were worshiping God in reverence and godly fear. Let us hear the commandments. What is the whole duty of man but to fear God and to keep His commands? There was a deep awe that rested upon the whole community of God's people. They had a true knowledge of God's greatness and their littleness. They had a true knowledge of God's holiness and their sinfulness and insufficiency. And they were serious about the things of God. Fear came down upon every soul. They were careful to do what God wanted to do because their heart's desire was to please the one who had saved them. Now this stands in contrary this stands in contrast to the casual flippant party church philosophy we've been examining over the last several weeks. This philosophy that focuses on fun it's not just church it's fun. This text destroys that. A spirit-filled church is a reverent church. It's a church that worships God in the beauty of his holiness. That's what a spirit filled church is. Truth number five. A spirit filled church is a unified church. It's a unified church. Verse 44. The Bible says, And all that believed were together. Now look back to verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly, speaking of together. Verse 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Did you catch it? These Christians were united together. And when I speak of unity, I'm not talking about some sappy, emotional, compromising unity where people affirm that Everyone is right and nobody is wrong because God is a God of love and acceptance. Let's all just link our arms and sing kumbaya. Let's not talk about doctrine and theology. I'm not talking about people being united in their music preferences or in their likings of Starbucks coffee. I'm talking about their being unified in the faith. They're being unified around the truths of God's word. These Christians were united in their love for Jesus Christ. They were united in their desire to do His will. And inevitably, 3,000 souls plus, they varied in personalities. They varied in opinions about certain things. Nevertheless, the Bible teaches us here That they were glued together in seeking first the kingdom of God and Christ's righteousness. One, together, serving the Lord. Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 1. We ought to strive together for the faith of the gospel as one. Our allegiance is under Christ, and we move forward through the truths of Scripture. One. This is the biblical characteristic of a spirit-filled church. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. A spirit-filled church is a church that is striving to love God and love one another. Truth number six, a spirit-filled church is a loving church. A spirit-filled church is a loving church. And do you know what love is? Do you know what the opposite of love is? You're tempted to say hate. It's not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. True love is selfless. For God so loved the world that he gave. The true way to love is shown by giving and giving of oneself. Jesus loved the sheep by laying down his life for the sheep. I want you you to see that these believers loved like Christ loved. Verse 44, they had all things common. That means they had this attitude that what is mine is yours because what is mine is really not mine. What is mine has been given to me freely by God. And then verse 45, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. That's something I'd like to see. They actually, truly loved each other. Whereas everybody today is doing this sort of thing, hoarding it to themselves, mine. The first century church did this sort of thing. What do you need? How can I be a blessing? It's not mine, it's to be used as a tool for the glory of God. You're without. Here you are. They didn't love one another in word and tongue, but indeed in deed and truth. They didn't say that they loved one another, they showed that they loved one another. Their love for each other lasted more than an hour on Sunday morning. Love you, brother. Love you, sister, love you. Then that's all you know about their love. You remember what Jesus said of this in John 13? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if your church has a coffee stand. Am I reading from a different version? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if your church has big facilities, multi-million dollar budget. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if your church has a cool YouTube channel. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Not a feeling, but sacrificial service. 1 Corinthians 13. Love gives itself. Love has hands and feet. It's not an emotion. A spirit-filled church is a loving church. It's a sacrificial church. Truth number seven, a spirit-filled church is a joyful church. We briefly looked at it this morning from the pastor's perspective, didn't we? From the pastor to the people, Christ's church is to be a church filled with individuals who are filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Verses, verse 46 says that they ate their meat with gladness. Not with sadness, not with madness, but with gladness. Now, this stands in contrast to the grumpy church. The cold, distant, stay away from me, church. You come into the church, everybody's sitting in their pews. A visitor walks by and they start frowning or they say, you're sitting in my spot. Don't you know that that's been my spot for 40 years? Who do you think you are? Now, get up. Have you been to a grumpy church? Cold, distant, stay away. Church members have been members for 40 years in a church under 100 people and they've never met each other before. The church that's frozen stiff, never smiles, never rejoices in the Lord. It's most certainly not a spirit-filled church. Now, this does not mean that we need to be a church given over to holy laughter cracking jokes all the time, but this does mean that among the fellowship of the church, there ought to be continual rejoicing in the Lord for who He is and what He has done for us. There's a genuineness of joy coming into the presence of the collective believers because we're thankful for all that God has done for us. It's not put on. It's not fake. It's not painting on a smile and then smearing it off afterwards. It's True and genuine. That's what this church was. It was joyful. God had just saved them. He didn't have to. But God arranged all the circumstances. These people are around. Peter is where he's at. The church is praying and God's spirit falls. Who wouldn't be joyful? They could be dead in hell. They could be suffering under persecution somewhere. They could have been born in a family that worships pagan gods. But In their rejoicing, in their happiness of what God has done, we find that this church was a joyful church. Truth number eight, a spirit-filled church is a pure and holy church. A spirit-filled church is a pure and holy church. Notice verse 46. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And this phrase, singleness of heart, speaks of having a heart that is without deceit and hypocrisy a heart without pretense, without fakeness. And what is being emphasized here is the spirit of purity, a spirit of holiness, a spirit of righteousness and godliness. Do you want to know what a true spirit-filled church looks like? Do you want to know what a true spirit-filled Christian looks like? Listen, don't judge it by what you see on Sunday. Don't judge it by what you see on YouTube. Judge it by what you see on Monday. Judge it by what you see in the lives of the believers who attend the church, truly. Do you want to see what a spirit filled church looks like? Watch how the pastors and the deacons treat their wives and children outside the church. Watch how the wives of the pastors and deacons relate to their husbands. Watch how the members interact with one another and with the world. Pay close attention to what TV programs, music, entertainments, the praise team enjoys and sets before their eyes throughout the week. Look at who and what they adore on Facebook. Oh, pastor, you're being pharisaical and legalistic, am I? Do you think a spirit-filled church privately loves the world and the things of the world? Do you really think that the Spirit is pleased by the sinful things people say and do when they are not being watched by other believers? Come out from among them and be ye separate. Romans 12:1 and two, Don't be conformed to the image of this world. be ye transformed. So easy for people to come, sit in a pew. Amen the pastor. Look the part and go out and love the world, embrace the world. If a church is going to be filled with the Spirit who is holy, He is the Holy Spirit, it better make sure that it's striving to be holy in all manner of conduct. 1 Peter chapter 1. Truth number 9. A Spirit-filled church is a worshipful church. A worshipful church. And by this I mean the primary focus of the church should be on uplifting the name of Christ, praising the name of God. Verse 47 says that the church in Jerusalem, after this unique occasion of the Spirit's falling, was busy praising God. They weren't praising Peter. They weren't like those in Corinth. We are of Apollos. We are of Cephas. We're divided. We have our favorite preacher Let's put Peter's face on everything. Let's sell him. Let's sell our product. They weren't focused on social reform or political activism. They weren't focused on potlucks. Now it appears that they did meet and they did eat. So I guess they were Baptist. But that wasn't their focus. Their focus was on praising God, making much of Him. Their time was given to Psalm 115, 1, saying, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy true sake. Right, John? He must increase, we must decrease. It's all about God. We want God to be known because the Bible says, in all things, he ought to have the preeminence. The Spirit-filled church is a worshipful church. It adores and magnifies the Lamb of God who was slain for sinners. And then truth number 10. The Spirit filled church is a sincere and simple church. It's a sincere and simple church. Now, notice this with me. This church was simple. They simply loved God and loved one another. They were who they were. It wasn't very flashy, it wasn't loud, it wasn't attractive to the world. It wasn't a fine-tuned machine. It was simple. So much so that some might be tempted to call it boring. Look at it again. What did they do? Here's what they did. They studied theology. They observed the Lord's table. They prayed. They showed themselves hospitable. They looked for ways they could tangibly help others, and then they worshiped. That's it. It was simple, not complicated. It was simple, not excessively busy. And under this point, I'm inclined to think of the simplicity of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus while Martha was excessively busy making food in the kitchen for Jesus. Mary, in her inactivity, seemed lazy and boring. Martha and her activity appeared to be zealous and exciting. And Jesus said that one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part. Now I'm not implying that all activity among the church is wrong. But I am implying that one thing is more needful. I'm asserting that there is something about the simplicity of the Christian life and the simplicity of communing with God. This is where this church is, Acts chapter 2. Continually communing with God, wanting to know Him, Peter, growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. How? Through the Word, through prayer, through praise, through accountability, through visits to the temple. It was simple. Simple Christianity. The Christian life is simple. We just make it complicated. We add things to it that trip us up and distract us in a thousand ways. This church was simple. Now one final question as I conclude. One final question. Tune your mind in. Where in this passage is the mentioning of music? We're talking about a spirit-filled church. Where in the passage is the mentioning of music? Where in the text are the instruments? Where are the flashing lights? Where's the fog machine? Where's the band? Where are the bounce houses? Where are the youth groups? Where are the people who are chanting spirit, 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 spirit? Where are the people barking like dogs? You see our problem? Our problem is that we've come to believe that certain things are of the Spirit when they are not. We've come to believe that the Spirit operates in a way that is contrary to His Word. Now, this is not to say that music was never a part of the local New Testament church, because it was. Paul twice admonishes God's people within the context of local church that they should be singing and rejoicing through spiritual songs and hymns, rejoicing, making melody in their hearts to the Lord's. But this is to say that music is not the singular mark of a church that is in tune with the Spirit. And that's what we've equated worship with. We're going to worship now, the pastor says. What does he mean? He means the band's going to broadcast their talent while we struggle to sing along. Worship is the whole of the entire church experience. Worship is fellowship and talking to your brother and sister about Christ. Worship is about singing praise to God together in unison. Worship is about the pastor preaching and you responding to the preached word, saying, yes and amen, that's what I want to do. Worship is about giving of our tithes and offerings. You want to know who our worship team is? It's the ushers who come down. There's our worship team. We're worshiping in the Lord with our tithes and offerings. Now that's going to catch, isn't it? <laughs> it's the whole experience, not just one part. But you see, we've, oh, are you spirit filled? Well, what kind of music do you have? What kind of performance do you give? What are the marks of a spirit filled church? A spirit filled church is a Christian church, a spirit filled church is a biblical church. A prayerful church, a reverent church, a unified church, a loving church, a joyful church, a pure and holy church, a worshipful church, and a sincere and simple church. And let me remind you that a Spirit-filled church is made up of Spirit-filled Christians. We can only be a Spirit-filled church if each and every one of us seek to be filled with the Spirit. So may the Lord help us to be a people who are filled with the Spirit.